Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the 7investing.com podcast. Our mission at 7investing is to empower you to invest in your future. We do that by providing a ton of free educational content like this podcast and by offering a monthly and annual subscription service where our team of advisors provides our seven best ideas in the stock market each month for just $17. On today's episode, 7investing advisor Steve Symington and Lior Elizari, CEO of Invia Robotics, talk about the rise of robotics. Thanks so much for listening. And if you get a second, please leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast player, which helps other people find us. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Seven Investing Lead Advisor Steve Symington here, and I can't tell you how excited I am to introduce my guest today. He's Lior Elizari, co-founder and CEO of Invia Robotics. Lior, welcome. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Thank you very much, Steve, for having me on the show. So part of the reason I'm, I'm so happy to have you here is that, that we share similar backgrounds. Uh, I previously worked as a software engineer. I was implementing neural networks and machine learning algorithms for object detection and feature extraction from satellite and aerial imagery. Um, and investing in artificial intelligence uh, for the last several years is one of my primary areas of expertise. Uh, I understand you have a master's degree in computer science with a focus on artificial intelligence. And you met your co-founders of Envia while attending a PhD program in robotics at USC? Yeah, that, that's right. I was actually working on the PhD um, for a while, about seven years, almost finished it. And uh, I actually dropped out to start this company and uh, they gave me the master's as a consolation prize. So. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Um, so tell me a little bit about the genesis of your company then. Uh, I understand you initially mold the idea of building home robots for elderly care, but pivoted when you recognize the need uh, of the e-commerce industry for better fulfillment solutions? Yeah. So, you know, our first idea was to build a robot that will operate at the home. Um, and we've looked at various methods and various things that, you know, from what technology will allow us to do. At USC, we worked a lot on DARPA-related projects, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of allowed us to really understand what robots can and cannot do. And one of the difficult part we actually ran into was the business model that we were going to be able to probably get a robot to maybe do 20% of the tasks at the home, mm -hmm. but we might have to charge around 50 to 60 K for it. And for most people, that's just way too expensive, especially for elderly care and stuff like that. I still would love to solve that problem, but I think that problem is just, there's, it's not just technological. It's also, there's a lot of other regulations and rules and things like that, that, you know, have to be done. It's really now, challenging. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On any, on any meaningful scale to commercialize something like that. Definitely. Yeah. And, and we knew that, you know, maybe a few people will buy the robot because it's cool. We were able to go maybe through doors and our mm -hmm. biggest task was uh, cooking, which means, you know, pulling a, a microwavable uh, food out of the freezer and putting it in the uh, uh, <laughs> microwave. So that was really, we were very proud of it. We actually have a very, very early on video of that, but it's, you know, again, it's just the cost of it was just going to be way too much. And right now, you know, you could get people to do a lot more, almost 120% of the work for a yeah. lot cheaper. Yeah. So as we, as we're yeah, building, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so as we we're building these robots, uh, we were ordering all these parts from Amazon. So first of all, you know, I think this is one thing that people don't realize in, in being able to get items as quickly as possible. It's not just as we can order the little stuff from China as quickly as possible. It also allowed us to iterate and build robots very, very quickly because we're able to get a part the next day and be able to test it, see if it didn't work and get the, the next part the next day. In the past, it would take months, right, to do mm -hmm. that. And 
So development time has increased significantly. One of the things we were ordering from Amazon were these aluminum sheets, like you know, eight foot by four foot aluminum sheets. We, they would come individually wrapped and we were like, how does Amazon do this? How do they even make money off this and be able to you know, send it prime overnight? So we started looking at the stuff and I uh, previously had another company called Edgecast uh, that we co-founded. And I talked to some of the customers over there. So the Edgecast was a CDN, content distribution network. Mm-hmm. And what we were doing there is basically, I think what e-commerce is doing today, which is you have uh, servers that are all over the world to be able to produce content as quickly as possible. In fact, we always joke around that we always have to beat the speed of light because the speed of light is just too slow for people to get content. <laughs> and now I joke around that my job is to get atoms faster than the speed of light. So forget about data because you know they're not going to get the shipment fast enough. So I was talking to a bunch of e-com customers and all of them had the same sort of problem, which is, you know, one is people don't want to pay for this work, right? You basically, when you click add to cart, you have a personal shopper that's doing yes. the work for you. And nobody wants to pay for that. And people want it for free. On top of it, they want it really fast. They want it now. So that's putting a lot of pressure on, you know, all these, uh, customer, our customers, our potential customers right now that are doing all the e-com work. And what's happening is that their labor that they're trying to get for that it's not only doesn't really exist is people just don't want to do this work. So they actually don't last long. Most of the customers we've talked to had about a hundred percent turnover in their staff. Oh, wow. uh, people can only walk so long for so a lot of miles. Yeah. It just, it was crazy. So they, they told us like, please, please help us. What can you guys do? And this is where we came up with the concept of the NBS system. Um, I'm sure you've seen our robots, but what they're able to do is they're able to go in and solve the picking problem. So there's no more in our world, there's no more pickers, there's nobody running around in the warehouse. The people are stationary and they actually do what they do best, which is fine manipulation. So mm-hmm. they go inside a tote, they will pack it, they will do the stuff which is extremely complex right now and they don't have to walk. So we completely eliminate the walking for them and that makes a huge difference. Now, mm-hmm. we're also able to add additional tasks such as replenishment, cycle counting, and that's the sort of the beauty of the system is that we have one robot that is capable of doing several tasks and really helping our customers and our really customers a now. Big value add there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the things we've concentrated a lot on is, you know, how do we go beyond just the picking? How do we solve the whole supply chain end to end, especially just inside the warehouse? Uh, and that's what our system have been able to do. And we're very proud of it. Great. Um, so that, you mentioned Amazon. When I first became aware of your company, that was the first thing that came to mind was Amazon's acquisition of Kiva Systems. That was early 2012. Yeah. Uh, and they, I believe, renamed it Amazon Robotics in 2015. And now, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they just, they essentially use their Kiva Systems technology, that warehouse technology to bolster the value proposition of their fulfillment by Amazon service. So to what extent do you compete with uh, fulfillment by Amazon and uh, Amazon Robotics. So we're actually sort of in direct competition with them, right? Mm-hmm. And But we will offer like a robots to Amazon type of facilities. Uh-huh. Now, what happens though with the Kiva system, and the Kiva really kind of shook things up a bit because, uh, you know, Amazon sort of acquired them and kept them to themselves. Mm-hmm. But there was one difficult challenge with the Kiva system which was to adapt into existing warehouses. Yeah. That's something we concentrated a lot on. So with the Kiva system, often it's really becomes a construction project and it takes a while to do it. And if 
you look at Amazon right now, I mean, they got about, I think, well, almost two, oh, actually over 200,000 robots running around, but only about 30% of the warehouses are automated. And huh. the reason for it is that they're not able to bring the Kiva systems into existing warehouses. So that's one of the challenges that we have to solve is how do we get our system to operate in an existing uh, infrastructure without having to change the warehouse. Yeah. And by solving that, we actually opened the door to everybody who's trying to compete against Amazon. It might not be at the mm -hmm. scale of buying a robotics company to yeah. become the robotics partner. And as a result, they don't have to spend massive amount of capital because often all that capital is spent on you know, re-engineering the whole warehouse, redoing every, all the floors and everything. Now they just get our robots, they deploy it into their existing system. They're able to up and, uh, run basically right away. So we're able to help mm -hmm. all the, like, the mid-sized businesses we're sort of struggling, right? Because they don't have the, the capital or the um, expertise to go with the automation, but now they can actually afford automation, be competitive with Amazon yeah. at the same type of rates that you know, they're able to achieve with their automation, but without that initial cost. And that's what you know, we're actually really excited about it because when we looked at the market, only 20% of the warehouses were automated. And yeah. it was because of that, because there's not that many companies who are going to spend $150 million to redo their warehouse. Now, the 80% remain unautomated. And they just, mm -hmm. you know, it, you, would, you wouldn't imagine like what it actually looks like. Um, and now by, aim, by us being able to address that market, we really opened up the market to a lot bigger uh, set of customers and really helping them again, not just compete against Amazon, but actually survive mm -hmm. in this world. Yeah. And I, I could see a lot of those customers really being hesitant to say, okay, I'm just going to let Amazon handle this. It's sort of like feeding the beast they're competing with. Yeah. And, and, uh, it really, um, that, that sort of answers one of the questions I, I was going to ask you next is, is, you know, as far as differentiators go, is that, do you think what you're most proud of? Are there other things that, uh, that, that really, uh, about your technology that, that really set you apart? Um, I I'd say that's, that's a huge one. Yeah. Uh, is the ability to adapt to existing warehouses because, you know, we see that a lot in the like enterprise software world. It's, it's reducing, you know, switching costs or adopting your technology is the biggest preventer. So um, what, what else would you say you're proud uh, as far as most proud differentiators? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things that when we developed this, so we, like I mentioned a little bit before, we didn't just develop a picking solution. We actually mm -hmm. developed a full end-to-end -end solution. And one of the reasons uh, we did that is that we noticed as we're going to these warehouses, they were really missing a lot of the intelligent component of routing things inside the warehouse. So our system is actually composed of an intelligent software we call NVL Logic that not only manages the robots, but also manages the labor to efficiently tell people where should they be at different points in time, uh, which is the same algorithms we actually use for the robots. But together as a harmony, they're actually able to operate together. And it's really interesting because people are not really good at repetitive tasks and doing that over and over again and staying consistent. But they're really good at problem solving and they're really good at bursting. And yeah. what we're doing with, this, with that system is being able to handle this sort of um, workforce that is, that is able to burst and problem solve with a workforce that doesn't burst, very consistent, stays over and over, which is the robots. Uh, but actually it's not able to problem solve. Whenever the, run, the robots run into a problem, they need a person to go and solve that problem for them. I think this is something that people don't actually realize uh, that's yeah. happening. These are, you know, these are tools that help us do a, a really good job and a repetitive job over and over again. 
but we're nowhere near the intelligence that even the most basic person has. Um, yeah. And what we do often is, you know, we call now the, the people, instead of pickers, instead of them running around in the warehouse, we call them robot wranglers. Because uh -huh. now what they're doing is they're managing the robots. Yeah. But in turn, they're able to pick in a, a, a very, very large um, rate, right? So yeah. instead of doing a few orders an hour, they're doing now thousands of orders an hour. But without wow. them actually physically doing it, they're managing the robots. So yeah. the job is sort of transformed. And most of the people that have been doing it are actually really happy with that. It's a much more fulfilling job for a person to do. Um, you know, to sort of uh, guide the robots, right, and tell them what to do, as opposed yeah. to, you know, them running around like a robot. Yeah, I, I remember reading statistics on the number of miles those poor pickers were, yeah. were walking uh, a day. I mean, really physically demanding. You think, oh, it's exercise, but at a certain point, it's just burdensome. Yeah. Um, the, uh, now, that, that kind of brings me to the challenge of commercializing uh, robotic solutions on, on a meaningful scale. Now, I read some on your website uh, about the prospect, uh, the, the solutions that you offer um, for robotics as a service uh, solutions. Yeah. Now, that helps address the challenge of commercialization for you, and it uh, seems like it's a more attractive prospect for your customers, so they're not, you know, shelling out $50,000 a robot. And, uh, but both from a creator's perspective and the standpoint of that robotics consumer um, Tell me a little bit more about your uh, your thoughts on robotics as a service, how you embrace it. Sure. So we actually are very, very proud at calling our, our, our company, you know, truly doing it as robotic as a service, mm -hmm. which we feel like it's not so much rental. Like right? some companies who will just rent you a robot, you know, per month. We actually don't rent a robot. We rent a service, which is the the, the productivity of the robots. And we think that is really, really important because when you as a consumer rent a robot, you're in charge of its productivity. If it doesn't perform to its you know, uh, expectations or what you want, yeah. you still have to pay for it every single month. And mm -hmm. that actually is what the industry was used to before. And we've seen that happen many times where a bunch of companies will you know, rent a bunch of robots, try to use them, they didn't really work, they'll push them to the side. And they're not robotic experts. They don't really know how to use them. Yeah. In our world, doing it truly as robotic as a service, we are not leasing the robot, but we are basically giving them productivity that they're mm -hmm. paying for. So if, they're, if our robots are not as productive, it is on us to make sure that they are productive. Now, we are as a robotics company. We know what we're doing. We know how to make these robots productive. Yeah. So in our customers, really what they're interested in is the productivity. They want to know, how many orders can I get out the door right away? They don't really care about the, you know, the nuances of how many robots do they need. Sure. And we take care of that. So that becomes a really good synergy between the companies where we're aligning the incentives and it really grows everything. And to your point earlier, getting that out to market is a really key point because mm -hmm. that allows us to expand very quickly and be able to supply our robots to as many customers as possible where in the past, because the customer had to take all the risk, that was very daunting to them, right? If you're, again, yeah. if you're spending $150 million on a project, you're taking all the risk. If that doesn't work, and we've talked to a customer who actually did that. Um, oh. And they said, you know, it took five years to complete. Oh gosh. And didn't actually, you know, it didn't materialize to what they thought it would. And it was actually five years behind now in technology. So it was just, you know, it was a big spend and they took all that mm -hmm. risk. 
we are actually taking that risk for the customer to make sure that the robots are going to be productive and that alleviates them. And in fact, from an ROI perspective, it becomes mm-hmm. almost infinite because they're yeah. saving from day one. The minute the robots are hitting the ground, they're saving money right away. And they're able to also grow with the system as opposed to having, you know, one of the reasons they designed that system for 150 yeah. was to predict 10 years into the future and figure out what system they will need because it's very difficult to expand. Yeah. Now, today with today's world, you know, like we basically turn 180 degrees overnight, right? With everything that's mm. happening. And companies are no longer, have the, not only does not have the ability to predict it, it was very difficult to predict 10 years anyways, but now it's even more so just predicting till next year what's going to happen. Yeah. And that really has opened up the door actually to more deployments on our end because more customers are willing to move forward now because they know that, you know, they, they basically are using the robots for what they need today. Mm-hmm. And when they need something in the future, they know they can expand or adapt or we actually have a customer say, you know what, I'm going to move warehouses. So they know they can pack it out, move to a different warehouse and do that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, uh, really, uh, you're, you're taking the words out of my mouth uh, over and over again, which is kind of nice that way. Uh, from an ROI perspective, uh, it's so easy for a customer to be able to say, okay, this is my potential return on investment. And on the flip side, that, that makes it easier for you as a robotics company to say, you know, here is uh, how much money we can expect from this and, uh, and, and sort of you know, help everything pay for itself as, as you strive to, to uh, move toward um, – you know, in, in some cases, companies moving towards sustained profitability, reinvesting uh, toward that growth. Now, speaking of investing uh, back into growth, do you see, uh, as you continue to gain traction, can you see NVIDIA eventually building out its repertoire of robots beyond its core fulfillment niche, beyond to, to different robotic solutions? So we actually see our software being able to do that. So since our okay. software, the, the NVIDIA logic is able to handle a lot of tasks. And we actually do that right now, for example, mm-hmm. interface with conveyor belts and um, auto baggers and things like that. Uh, what we're able to now do as well is take on some other robots that are in the system. So for example, yeah. uh, there's a bunch of pallet moving robots. And if we need that function in the warehouse, our system is able to guide that robot to again, work in harmony across the whole warehouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we see definitely doing that. Initially, when we started the company, we didn't want to build our own robots. We actually wanted to just do software and, and do the intelligence part. Uh, however, <laughs> I think we ran into a, a huge cost factor where, you know, some of the robots were costing, you know, 20 to 30K. Yeah. And we said, well, there's no way we could, you know, do that because you need a bunch of robots to do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where we ended up designing our own robot. And in fact, this is where AI really comes into play, which I think people don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're able to do is take... Um, a, a low-cost set of hardware, so off-the-shelf pieces of hardware, uh, uh, ba- basically bent aluminum sheets that are not very precise, so they don't yeah. cost a lot, and compensate them using AI. So instead of building a machine that is very costly, that is very precise mechanically, mm-hmm. we're building a machine that is not as precise mechanically, but using vision system, we close the loop to basically have a, a, a very precise machine. So we can still go in and very precisely within millimeters pick up a tote, but we're not doing it because our, uh, our uh, you know, machine is very precise. It's because it's closing the loop like a person where sure. you have a vision system that kind of guides And eye coordination. Exactly. I see the so, system yeah. behind you and the, the camera and the suction yeah. and everything. Uh, it's funny because it, it's, it's deceivingly simple, but uh, I, I think the, the real power uh, is in the artificial intelligence that's, yeah 
that's contained in that software system. Um, so this, uh, I guess, is, is potentially really interesting to me. Um, now, you've co-founded and served as a chief architect of several businesses. You mentioned Edgecast earlier, and I believe that was sold to Verizon in 2013, you said? Yeah. And um, then you had HostPro, that's now web.com, and, and yeah. uh, HostPro was acquired by Micron in the late 1990s. Yeah. And then 1999, uh, right before the crash. <laughs> knowledge Base, <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. Um, knowledge Base as well uh, was another yeah. one that uh, I think was acquired by Talisma in 2005. Yeah, right. yeah um, that was a CRM. So solid track record so far, but dare I ask whether you could see NVIDIA uh, growing into a compelling acquisition candidate itself in the coming years, or uh, is that something that's you on know, your radar or do you want to grow this organically and, and see what it becomes? So I'd love to grow this. I mean, we do have investors that are probably would take on even now what's happening. We're actually experiencing a tremendous amount of growth, yeah. um, you know, probably uh, bringing in more. Now I would like to grow it as much as possible. I'm sort of in a comfortable situation where I do yeah. want to grow it. Now robotics has always been my passion, always mm -hmm. wanted to do something robotic systems. And like I mentioned before, we always ran into the business model part of it. That was uh -huh. always a problem. And I think this is why we don't see the robots running all the way around. Like, you know, we yeah. were promising, I think, in the 1960s and 70s, right, that by now we would have robots running around everywhere. And it wasn't so much the technology, but as much as the business models just, you know, was very, very difficult to justify. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I would love to live in a world, right, where we're basically are doing the things that we want to do. Mm -hmm. And having robots doing all the stuff that we don't want to do, uh, yeah. and I think that you know that'll be a great. The, those menial tasks that we don't want to yeah, handle would would be fantastic. Uh, I actually saw, I think, a press release yesterday from Boston Dynamics. Uh, you know, they make the the rover, yeah. the running and flipping robots that they're they always have yeah. the viral videos. I think they said they're selling their little dog spot robot or whatever that is for to any company that wants to buy it for seventy four thousand. Ouch. But, yeah. yeah, I see that's, I but, mean, that, yeah. that's sort of the, the point, right? Boston Dynamics is a really interesting case because mm -hmm. they've been really helping with research, right? Doing a lot of, yeah. and companies have been pumping. I mean, I think now they're owned by uh, mm -hmm. SoftBank. So they've been yep. pumping a lot of money to do that research. But finding an application, right? An application that that yeah. robot dog can do that justifies $74,000 is very difficult. Uh, yeah. And that's something that I think Boston Dynamics in the past had actually a problem with commercialization. I think they always tried to, do the stuff. I mean, the robots are great, right? They're jumping, doing flips and things like yeah. that. But trying to find a commercialization has always been difficult. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's part of the reason for anyone who's paying attention to these various transactions and mergers and divestments uh, that I believe Google acquired Boston Dynamics at one point, along with uh, half a dozen other robotics companies and subsequently divested them. And I think their goal was to create uh, sort of I, uh, delivery robots that could bring packages to the door from their autonomous vehicles. And I mean, it's just one of those things where, you know, even Google with all of its cash is having trouble, you know, commercializing yeah. something like that. Uh, so that really makes what you are doing all the more impressive. Uh, yeah. So it, it's, it's just a really exciting technology and, and uh, company I'll be, I'll be watching. Uh, yeah. I, I think to your point, actually, sometimes cash could actually work against you because you end up doing a lot more research. Mm -hmm. We have to commercialize. I mean, yeah. you know, because we don't have the bank account that Google has, so we got to draw income. And as a result, we might need to make sure that our customers are paying us money. And as a result, we're making mm -hmm. sure that our, you know, technology fits what the customers want. Yes. And that, I think that sort of sometimes play, you know, into that. 
sort of created a, uh, a necessity uh, yeah. situation that that mother of all invention correct exactly oh. uh, but I uh, that that's really all I have for you uh, I'm really uh, happy that you came on and uh, I'll be watching your company I really appreciate you, appreciate your time thank you so much for joining no me today Lior no problem thank you very much for having me I really had a lot of good time and any questions or anything like that, I would be happy to answer. Of course. And uh, for those of you listening, you can learn more about Envia at their website. It's enviarobotics.com. That's I-N-V-I-A robotics.com. And uh, thank you for tuning in. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7 Investing. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. Views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. And before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult with a financial or tax professional.